The first time I listened to a podcast was in my high school forensics class. My teacher had tossed the name Serial around all semester, but I'd never listened to a podcast before, and honestly, I never had any interest in doing so. All I knew was my 15-year-old brain got bored listening to NPR with my dad every Sunday, so I didn't have very high hopes. I remember walking to class, sitting in my seat, and staring toward the front of the classroom while Serial's signature music started to play. It was episode one, The Alibi. A recorded phone call from a correctional facility played over the music, and host Sarah Koenig introduced herself. The first thing Koenig says in the episode is, quote, For the last year, I've spent every working day trying to figure out where a high school kid was for an hour after school one day in 1999. Or if you want to get technical about it, and apparently I do, where a high school kid was for 21 minutes after school one day in 1999. I didn't really know what gripped me at first, honestly. Um, I didn't think about it rhetorically, because I wasn't trained to do so then. I just knew I wanted to listen more. But there are so many factors I know now that make a podcast amazing, average, or honestly, in some cases, forgettable. And in this particular podcast, we're going to go into why those certain rhetorical tactics matter, both for the sake of learning and for the sake of our understanding of rhetoric. Before we begin, I'd like to first identify rhetoric and how it functions in our society. Rhetoric is the way we use language and grammar to persuade an audience, whether it's in advertising politics or, in this case, learning through podcasts. Roman philosopher Cicero divided it into five canons. Invention, which is the process of coming up with the ideas behind a text. Arrangement, which is the process of placing a text in a particular order. Style, which is the process of composing the words and phrases that will be used to describe a text. Memory, which involves, obviously, memorizing the text. And delivery, which is the final presentation of a text. Be sure to keep the five canons in mind. We'll be referencing them later throughout the podcast. Though the term rhetoric often has a negative connotation, we all use it in our day-to-day lives. We use it to negotiate salaries, when we're buying cars, and even when we try to talk ourselves out of an argument with a friend. Rhetoric also helps us understand the world in ways that are best for us. It introduces us to the things we may have never been exposed to before, for example, Iraqi associations with podcasts. Rhetoric is very human and natural in some ways, specifically when it comes to how we communicate and learn. In fact, I'd go as far as saying it determines how we learn and consume information. Now let's step back a bit and discuss the start of podcasting. Podcasting was fully developed first by David Weiner and Adam Curry. Curry invented a way to download his favorite radio shows onto his iPod, and Weiner figured out a way to edit those recordings, publish them, and distribute them. The two, along with journalist Chris Linden, started the very first podcast called Radio Open Source in 2003. The term podcast was coined a short year later by a reporter for The Guardian named Ben Hammersley. He covered the new form of media in 2004, where he suggested the name, and podcast became Webster Dictionary's Word of the Year in 2005. According to Edson Research, awareness of the meaning of the term podcast grew from 22% in 2006 to 55 in 2016, which is an impressive growth of 33% over eight years. The growth from 2014 to 2016 was a whopping 7% increase, which is likely due to the release of Serial in October of 2014. Podcast listeners have always been a niche crowd, but Serial exposed podcasting to millions more people, making it a household name today. The Apple Podcasting app and big news outlets like the New York Times, Washington Post, and NPR have all helped fuel the phenomena. A range of podcast associations now exist for those getting started in the industry, and some podcasts, like the popular Pod Save America, have begun hosting live shows across the United States. Maybe the reason podcasting has evolved into what it has today is because we love stories. According to an article by Times' Jeffrey Kluger, storytelling is what makes us human. The storytelling rhetorical tactic is most appealing because humans inherently use storytelling as a mode of teaching. When told in a certain way, stories can transport us into a different frame of mind. In fact, neurologist Paul Zak found that our brains release oxytocin, which makes us feel empathy, when character-driven stories are shared with us. 
Oxytocin is also dubbed the love drug and moral molecule because when it's released, people are more trustworthy, generous, charitable, and compassionate. He also discovered that in order to intrigue an audience through storytelling, you have to continually increase the tension throughout the story, a tactic that we see used in serial with cliffhangers, eerie music, and the slow reveal of new details as the case progresses. With this tactic, listeners begin to empathize with characters and enter what's called transportation, where they can intensely feel what the characters are feeling. The example Zach uses is when a person's palms begin to sweat when James Bond enters a fight. Maybe you've experienced it when Michael Scott takes a joke too far in the office. All these reasons allow us to not only relate to stories and people, but learn from them. Our mind is wired to think and process narratives to help us, even when it comes to more complex subjects like economics and finance that people may not expect to hear stories about. When we're gripped by something, we're more inclined to learn from it and remember it. However, one thing I've personally noticed that disrupts the state of transportation is the style used to tell a story. For example, I love the concept of NPR's new podcast, Throughline. Basically, the two hosts take current issues and provide historical context for the listenership to better understand what's happening in our world right now. It's a podcast obviously geared toward millennials and Gen Zs who either haven't lived through some of the history that makes current issues relevant or haven't informed themselves on the history behind the issues we deal with today. The hosts have a very casual way of speaking, which I typically enjoy, um, but it's so scripted that I lose focus. The information they have is incredibly interesting, but the way they present it, down to the inflection of their voices, removes me from the narrative and forces me to recognize that I'm listening to a podcast. Part of the appeal of storytelling rhetorical techniques is the immersion, but for some, it's actually preferred to listen to a structured, scripted story rather than a more organic storyteller. Under the podcast Reddit thread, I found a group debating whether or not they enjoyed audiobooks. Reddit user Jarit says, I only listen to nonfiction podcasts and just realized recently I really like listening to nonfiction books now. It started with books that pods I listen to use as source material, like Bad Blood, American Kingpin, and McMafia, and I found them as enjoyable as a pod. I generally prefer podcasts that are script-based and not roundtable discussions, so maybe that's why. I no longer like reading fiction, though, and I think it's because of podcasts. Sad face. On the other hand, user Frankie Sack says, I hardly ever listen to audiobooks. I think it's probably partly because an audiobook is a translation from one medium to another, rather than an adaptation. I listen to audio drama adaptations, but just listening to a person read the text, I prefer to read it myself, I guess. User jmit 76 has a similar opinion. They say that, for me, it's the fact that I can't register what's being said in the audiobook before the next line. Podcasts are easy because it's no different than speaking to someone and picking up what they say. But with audiobooks, I find myself having no opportunity to think about what is being said the way I would if I'd just read the book. Some actually prefer less scripted podcasts because they are more personal. Some hosts will actually tell stories about themselves or discuss personal topics, such as their interests, hobbies, and family, to either start or end their podcast. Some even dedicate more time to it, sometimes half or an entire podcast, and gain a following who finds the stories of their lives interesting. The story is appealing, but what's more appealing is the human contact or the human interaction that you feel when listening to a podcast. However, that's part of what you're signing up for in a podcast. Because podcasts are so long, listeners genuinely get to know the host and begin to form connections with them. Through that relationship, the host gains credibility with the listener, and the listener understands the topic on a deeper level. Going back to our five canons of rhetoric, in this case, and in most cases, the actual delivery is what appeals and intrigues podcast listeners. Some hosts, like Sarah Koenig, can channel both styles, which is maybe why Serial was such a hit. A large push for podcasting in the classroom has surfaced recently, mostly by teachers who have tried it themselves and seen incredible results. Psychologically, audio learners are more prone to learn through podcasts and audiobooks. However, the fundamental canons of rhetoric suggest that there are other rhetorical reasons for why podcasts are so effective. Jennifer L. Bowie of Keros, which is a journal of rhetoric, technology, and pedagogy, has explored this topic extensively. 
She's found that podcasts are rooted in the rhetorical canons we've used for centuries, linking the success of podcasts to the rooted rhetorical methods we're constantly exposed to. Though a podcast may belong to one genre, its fundamental canons allow it to appeal to the audience members from a variety of different genres. For example, a cold case podcast could be humorous, um, an entertainment podcast could have its heartfelt moments, and other examples, obviously. Bowie discusses this in relation to dialect and how her students were more comfortable using a colloquial style when they created their own podcasts. She says, quote, Style has, at times during the history of rhetoric, only been considered simple ornamentation, and many students first see it this way and not as a deeper, artful expression of ideas appropriate to one's purpose. Many of my students attempt writing in an academic style, with big words sometimes selected through Microsoft Word's thesaurus, long sentences, and a passive voice, which results in something that is not fun to write, read, or grade. However, the question of how it will be said becomes quite literal when the students are speaking their texts. Suddenly, the spoken text issues of style such as diction, accents, jargon, word choices, expression, and speed come into play. This takes us back to the issues I came across when listening to NPR's Throughline. Podcasts are generally supposed to be more conversational, and therefore, the way they're written and presented has to be natural. She continues, As both pathos and ethos are key when considering style, Students begin to think about how an accent may give them pathos, but decrease ethos, or vice versa, or even increase or decrease both. They consider how jargon may give them ethos with some audience and decrease it with others. As their audience is no longer just the instructor, and possibly because they hear how ridiculous their academic writing style sounds when spoken, students reconsider style in new and interesting ways. Bowie recognizes two different tactics used in creating a specific style. One is appealing to an audience through a relatable dialect, and one is appealing to an audience through an interesting or unnatural dialect. She uses two groups of her students as an example. One student presented her own podcast in her native dialect, which is a St. Martin Dutch dialect. Um, Bowie comments that this added additional ethos specifically for a primarily St. Martin audience. In doing this, the podcaster is feeding into a familiar style because it will bring comfort to the St. Martin listener. Another group decided to create an entire podcast in pirate dialect, referring to the class with pirate names and using pirate lingo. The class didn't relate to the pirate dialect, since I'm assuming none of them are actual pirates, but they found it entertaining because it was such a different way of hearing a story that they weren't used to. The pirate dialect livened up the material, making it memorable, and as we mentioned earlier, a story that is memorable is easier to learn from. Regardless if it's a story that feels so real or one that detaches its audience from reality, it still has the same effect. People respond to storytelling, but the story can be told through different rhetorical styles. So the big question, why does this all matter? Why are you listening to a podcast about podcasts to tell you more about why you're listening to a podcast? Well, because there's likely a reason you're listening to this rather than reading a book, listening to an audiobook, or watching TV. As a writer, editor, rhetorician, or other professional in a content-related field, it is incredibly important to understand why your readers or listeners have opinions on the content you're putting out. It is also important to understand the absolute best way to reach certain audiences, which is heavily impacted by the medium you use. As we saw from the Reddit poll, some audiences prefer scripted podcasts and some don't. Some people react to a story in their native dialect and some prefer a story told in a way that's unfamiliar. We also found that the overarching rhetorical tactic of storytelling helps people learn and consume information in a most effective way. In fact, it inherently grips us as humans. We naturally respond to storytelling. We can conclude that when it comes to storytelling, people seek something either entirely familiar or entirely unfamiliar. Podcasts are able to appeal to both of those audiences, which allows for maximal learning and consumption of information. When we take a look at this form of media, we can recognize the way our world has evolved to adapt to new generations. 
I mean, my generation has a shortened attention span and a myriad of stimuli to avoid being distracted by. When going back to our roots of hieroglyphs, fairy tales, and nursery rhymes, all the way to modern day storytelling, we've always communicated through stories and we've always drawn lessons from our previous experiences. Podcasts create a world where we can put all of our stories out there for a community to collectively consume and analyze. We feed off each other's ideas, stimulate discussion, and learn from each other in ways that we can all respond to. Hopefully you now have a better understanding of why we are so rhetorically drawn to podcasting and why it's been successful in teaching and learning. Really consider your audience the next time you're making a presentation or trying to figure out what medium to use because maybe podcasting is the way to go. My name is Jordan Sykon. Thank you for listening.